2, verses 1 through 3. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, um, we're reading out the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible uh, version. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can pull up an, uh, I'm sure, like a Bible app uh, on your phone. Uh, we do have a, a, a few uh, on the connect table back there that you could grab uh, as well. Uh, we're in the beginning of Genesis, and so that puts us at page 2. Should be pretty easy for you to find it. Um, but let me pray for us, and we'll get started, all right? Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for... Um, this opportunity that we have to be in your word, uh, to open up the book of Genesis, the original origin story, to find out uh, a bit, uh, not only about ourselves and what it means uh, to truly live and have purpose uh, in this life that you've blessed us with, but, but more than anything, Lord, just the opportunity that we have to get better acquainted with you, who you are, what you've done, your purpose for a creation, your purpose for humanity. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we spend time uh, in these three verses, that um, you uh, would just help us to be nourished by its truth, to be satisfied in, in how, uh, how good it is for us spiritually and, uh, and just to delight and see the splendor and majesty and beauty of our Lord Jesus in this passage. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, so uh, we are going through the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We're calling it the original origin story. That's because it is the original origin story. The book of Genesis was written by the prophet Moses, uh, originally to the Israelites that he helped lead uh, into the desert out of slavery uh, from the Egyptians. Uh, and as they're, as they're there, uh, uh, God meets with them, or, or through Moses, he speaks to his people uh, and and gives them this, this book, which is the account of who they are and where they came from. And not just who they are and where they came from, but all of humanity. Why God made the world, why God made people. Uh, and so we, we looked at that. We looked about how, at how God is the uncreated creator. Uh, he's the only one who's existed outside of time. He's the one who made all things just with the sheer power of his voice, with the sheer volition of his will. And then he created uh, all creatures and all, all things. And then uh, as a pinnacle of his creation, he makes uh, mankind. And we're going to get more into uh, the nuances of uh, what it means to be man and woman, about how God has created us uh, as people with dignity and value and worth. Um, it, it's where we, we get uh, the uh, idea of that from. Uh, but as men and women, he's also uh, created us uh, very distinct and different from one another. And so we'll, we talked about a little bit about that a couple weeks ago, and we'll get more into that as we go into chapter two. We find ourselves now uh, at the end of uh, this seven-day week in Genesis 1. And as we mentioned, uh, there's a number of different ways that we can interpret those six days, those first six days of uh, creation, from uh, interpreting them literally 
uh, interpreting them literarily or figuratively. Um, and you can be a genuine Bible-loving, trusting Christian and be anywhere across that spectrum because that's not the point. The point of Genesis is not, as many people try to treat it, a science book. It's a salvation book. It's a storybook about our origins. And what we're going to see now is that in this seventh day, that God rests. And what I want you to see is that you and I were made for rest. We were made for rest. And when I say that word rest, I don't mean like the kind of rest that's like a cat nap at two in the afternoon sort of rest. I mean rest in the, in the truest and in the fullest sense of that word, rest. Now that does include rest from our work. It does include rest from constant activity. It does include the 20-minute cat nap and a full night of sleep. It's all those things, but it is so much more that we're made for. It's about the rest that we find when we truly rest in God. Now, what we'll see is how rest is so fundamental to the creation of all things and the creation of humanity. It's so fundamental to creation and to who we are as humans. Here's our main idea. I'll give it to you right here on the front end. It's that there is good news in knowing that God's work, his creative work, is finished. And we are invited to rest in it. There's good news in knowing that God's creative work is done, it is finished, and we are invited to rest in it. So now let's work our way through Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. And let's see what God has to say about rest. Here's point number one. I want you to see in the first couple of verses that God works and rests. God himself works and rests. We see this in verse one going into the first half of verse two. I'll read it for you. It'll also be up on the screen or you can follow along in your Bibles. It says, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. And on the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. Now, right here, we see the first verb in our passage. It shows up at the end of verse 1, and then it shows up again in verse 2. It's the Hebrew word kalah, which is translated here as completed. You see it there at the end of verse 1 and again in the middle of verse 2. Completed. God's work in creation is completed. Now, you and I need to understand how radically significant this is. Again, remember who's writing this. Remember the context here. You've got Moses writing to the Israelites. They've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. God led them through the Red Sea. They're now in the wilderness, and God is teaching them something about who they are as his people, about his deliverance. And, excuse me, in writing Genesis, God is wanting to teach them the one true origin story that comes up and against all the other origin stories that they've been exposed to. The origin stories that they were exposed to in Egypt, the origin stories that they're being exposed to as they're working their way through Babylon, 
And so, for example, the Eastern religions, thanks, Haji, appreciate it. Haji, Haji Momin, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, for example, the Eastern religions at the time, they taught that work was a curse, that work was bad. The Babylonians, what, what, what their sort of mythology was is they said that in the beginning, there was this sort of battle amongst the gods. <clears throat> and one group, one group won. And the king of that group, this guy named Marduk, he created the world as sort of a trophy to his victory. He, he cut open the body of the god that he destroyed in the battle, and out of that body he created the heavens and the earth. And then this guy Marduk, this god, he says to the other gods, he says, look what I did. Look what I made here out of uh, our enemy's body. Look what I made here. Isn't this great? How rad is this? Like, let's, let's all live in this world that I created. And the other gods, they say, no, no way. We, we don't want to do that. I mean, that place looks sick and all, but, but, but it's going to take so much work to keep up this place with all the plants and creatures and everything. And then Marduk says, hey, look, I know. I thought about this, but, but this is why I'm going to create a lowly primitive creature called mankind humanity, and we'll make them do the work so that us gods can rest. That was their mythology that they believed in. So work was a bad thing. Bad thing. It was for humans to do so that gods can rest. And around that time, the Eastern or the Western religions, rather, uh, the, like where you had the, like the Greek and Roman origin stories, the most famous one involves a container known as Pandora's box. You've probably heard of that, right? Pandora's box. Uh, and so the Greek god Zeus, he gives uh, one of the first humans, Pandora, this container and says, hey, whatever you do, don't open it. And what does she do? She opens it. She opens it, and all the bad things that exist in our world come out. Death comes out. Disease comes out. Decay and work. And so in Greek mythology, work also is one of the bad things that come out of Pandora's box. And what we're reading here in Genesis from the pen of Moses is written to directly contest those other origin myths that existed in that region in the first century, or sorry, in, uh, in, in that century. In the process, it contradicts what everybody else thought about work. See, the Bible, the book of Genesis says that work is something good. In fact, it's something that God does. God, he, he created all things. He worked to create all things. Later on in Genesis 2, we're going to see that he, he literally, he gets dirt under his fingernails to create man and woman. God plants then a garden, and then he tells us, hey, you humans, you be like me and work the garden. Be like me and be a gardener. Be like me and be fruitful. Take care of the earth and its creatures. It's like Moses is going out of his way to say how good work is for human flourishing. Even God does it. Work is good for human flourishing. It's good for doing good to your neighbor, for providing for your family, equipping the next generation, and bringing glory to God. I want you to read all of verse 2 with me now. We only read the first half before, so let's read the whole thing. Verse 2, he says, On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now, there's the second verb. 
It's a, it's a Hebrew word, shavath. Shavath, which is translated here uh, as rested. Shavath is where we get the word Sabbath from. You see, the seventh day is a unique day for two reasons. First, because creation has been completed. It's done. It's finished. God never picks up his creation work again. All throughout the scriptures, he never picks it up again. God continues to work in a sustaining way. And he is, and Jesus is going to bring back a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. But his original work of creation is, is, is done. It's completed. But secondly, the seventh day is unique because it's the day that God rested. After six days of hard work to get the universe up and running, God, it says, rested. And don't miss the significance of that. That God, he rested. Now, at first glance, that might seem strange, right? Why did God need to rest? Was he tired? Did he need to chill? Did he need to relax? The answer to those questions is no, because one of the biggest mistakes that we tend to make as creatures, as humans, uh, one of the biggest mistakes we make is when we assume that God is like us, that when we're doing theology, we, we impose things on him because of what we know is true about us, but God is so different from us. Let me illustrate. I went to a two-year-old's birthday party yesterday, and that means that there were a lot of toddlers, right? A lot of toddlers running around. That also means that when nap time came, all the parents had to bounce. They all had to leave, right? Parent after parent, like, had to leave. And it wasn't like this, this polished manner where they walk up to the host and go, thank you for having us over to this exquisite celebration of your child. It was more like kids flailing around upside down. Mom and dads are trying to, like, maintain control and say, sorry, we, we got to go, right? Thanks for inviting us. And then scooting on out of there. And then grown-ups, we have our limits too, right? Like we get more and more exhausted, especially the older that you get. Like you just can't have a sandwich and a beer for lunch without having to take a nap too, right? All the complex carbs, it just like, takes you down. We're just not built like that. We need to rest after uh, we take a beating like that. And God, he's not like that. He's not like us. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 40, verse 28, it says this about God. This is a song that Isaiah writes about God. And it says, do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth? He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. Later on in the book of Psalms, it says that God does not slumber, nor does he sleep. We could go on and on. So then what does it mean when Genesis 2 says that God rested? It doesn't mean that he was pooped or exhausted, that he came to the end of himself. He's infinite. God rested only in the sense that he stopped and ceased his creative work. Not that he had to replenish his energy. It also means that he was satisfied in his creative work. 
Now, this takes us back to the end of chapter one when it says that God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. And that's because God's work was a full work. It was a complete work. It was a perfect work. And his rest, God's rest, was the rest of complete satisfaction of all that he had done and accomplished in creation. It's like the kind of rest that I have when I'm finished mowing the lawn on a hot summer day, and then I sit in my lawn chair in the shade, I kick up my feet and crack open a cold drink of choice and look over my clean lines with this deep sense of satisfaction. Like God's rest is like that kind of rest. It's a stopping in order to delight in what you've done. But instead of my pathetic, you know, RSM-sized plot of land, God's looking over all creation over all that he has made, from the smallest quark and microscopic amoebas to, to, to the vast forests and oceans and the sands on the beaches to all the creatures and plants and animals to the highest peaks and mountains to the depths down below to the swirling galaxies at the edge of the universe. God stops and he rests to delight and enjoy and just take it in his good creation. There's good news in knowing that God's work is finished. But not only did he work and rest, he also calls us as those made in his image to work and rest. And so this leads us into point number two. God calls us into this rest. God calls us into his rest. God calls us to work, and we saw that work is good. It's given dignity because God himself did it, but he also calls us to rest. Read verse 3 with me. It says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So this is the third verb that we see in our text. It says that God blessed the seventh day. Have you ever had this thought, like how there is no rational or mathematical reason for having a seven-day week? You guys ever thought about that? Like there's no good reason to have a seven-day week. Like why, why seven days? Nobody in their right mind would purposely divide a 365-day year into groups of seven. That's why we've got, like, some months have 30 days, some have 31. February has 28. Unless it's a leap year, then you, like, add one, right? Like, who, who made that decision? Who was on that committee? People will do this, like, historical work, and, 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 and they'll say, like, oh, it was this group or it was that group. Like, the common consensus uh, today is a lot of people say, like, no, we think, it was the, we think it was the Babylonians because of, you know, the way that they measured, like, the, 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 the lunar uh, cycle uh, in, in a month. Um, but, man, if you look into the history of that, it's, it's pretty shaky. It's pretty, it's pretty iffy. It changes, like, every so often. Where did this come from? Nobody knows. Why does the world operate in sevens? I'll tell you why. The only reason is because God established this order because of creation. And every weekly cycle that we have is just wired and shaped to remind us that God's creation is completed and that we, as his creatures, are invited to rest in it. 
If you look closely at the previous chapter at Genesis 1, you'll see that three things are blessed by God. First, God blesses the animal kingdom. It talks about the creatures of the sea, water, and air, and then God gives them a calling through this blessing. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And then later on, he blesses humanity in the same way. It says that God blessed man and woman, and he tells, gives them the same calling, be fruitful and multiply. And then here in Genesis 2, verse 3, it says that he blesses the seventh day. So God blesses the animals, he blesses the humans, and then he blesses a day. How do we make sense of that? What does that mean? I think it means that the seventh day has a a kind of life-giving capacity that comes with being fruitful and multiplying to fill the world up with more and more life. And what does that tell us? That tells us that that resting from our work is life-giving. It's for our good. It's for the good of our souls. It's for the good of human flourishing. This is why God blesses the day, and he doesn't just bless it, but he calls it holy. That word holy means to set apart, to make it special. So God takes this seventh day, he blesses it, he gives it a calling, and then he sets it apart as holy. He says, this is a special day. It's so important to him that this is set apart as a special day. In fact, it's why he doubles down on this by including this day in one of the Ten Commandments, one of the big ten, because it's so good for us. I mean, the next time that we see the seventh day rest show up in the Bible is in Exodus 20, when God gives the Ten Commandments to Israel. God delivered his people. They're wandering in the wilderness, and, and, and he, he, he gives them a constitution to establish them as a nation. He gives them civil laws. He gives them ceremonial laws. And then he gives them the big ten, the ten commandments that are binding on all societies and all humans and all generations. And in the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, he says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them for six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. This is one of the big ten, the fourth commandment. If you actually look at the list of ten commandments, this commandment is given the most the most ink spilled. It's got the most words in it. It's the longest one because it's the only one, one of the only ones where it gives a reason for why you should do it. It says there in verse 11, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and everything and then the six days and then he rested on the seventh. This is why you should rest in the same way. So now what does this tell us about what Sabbath rest is for? On the one hand, Sabbath rest is is made, it's given to us for delighting in God's creation. Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel writes, it is a day on which we are called upon to show what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, 
to turn from the world of creation to the creation of the world. He says this day is a day for us to to stop worrying about and being anxious about all these horizontal things and to look vertically, to stop worrying about what's going on in creation and to just rest in the goodness of our creator. In other words, this is a built-in rhythm to the very fabric of time that's there to remind us that there is more to life than what we do. There's more to life than work. It's a day to gather with God's people, to hear and meditate on God's word, to fill your mind with eternal things, to pray and to sing to God. The prophet Isaiah elsewhere wrote another song about this day. In Isaiah 28, he says, if you honor the Sabbath, God will make you ride the heights of the earth. Don't you want to ride the heights of the earth? And so on the one hand, this was a day that was set apart to celebrate creation. But secondly, it was also a day to celebrate our salvation. So we celebrate creation in the Sabbath day, but we also celebrate our salvation. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's an extended version of the fourth commandment. In in that passage, uh, the four commandments are repeated. And in verse 12 and 15, here's what it says about the fourth commandment. It says, be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. And then verse 15, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So this tells us it's a time to remember not just the goodness of creation, but the goodness of salvation. You see, for the Israelites, it meant remembering that God is the Redeemer who liberated them from Egyptian slavery. That redemption and when we read the whole scriptures, we know that, that that redemption from Egyptian slavery actually pointed forward to a greater redemption for God's people, a greater redemption through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so for today on the Sabbath, for Christians in Christ, we remember that God is the Redeemer who liberated us from evil, sin, and death. This is why the first century Christians began this new tradition of observing the Sabbath on a Sunday. That's because Jesus' resurrection happened on what day? A Sunday. The first day of the week. The Christian Sabbath is now celebrated on a Sunday. That's why we call it the Lord's Day. Now, does that mean that we only glorify God one day a week? No, because 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that we live, we should live for the glory of God and the good of others in all that we do, in all our activity, in all our days. But on the Lord's Day, we should be especially focused on resting from our ordinary work, gathering with other Christians for public worship, and just celebrating the work of our Creator, Redeemer. You see, that is how we observe the Sabbath today. Under the Old Covenant, believers had these rules and laws tied to the Sabbath. Uh, Some of them were civil laws that uh, no longer apply because God's people are no longer uh, a national people, but a spiritual one. But under the new covenant in Christ, obeying the fourth commandment takes on not a new meaning, but a fuller meaning. It's less of a chore and more of a delight. 
Here's a brief list on how you can observe the Sabbath today. Ways you can observe the Sabbath today is first, you rest from your ordinary work. Whatever your vocation is, whatever work that you do, you just rest from your ordinary work. Secondly, you, you gather with the saints. You gather with your church family. You gather with other Christians. And together, number three, you celebrate the gospel of salvation. That's what we do when we gather for our Lord's Day service every Sunday afternoon. And lastly, we look ahead to our future hope. We rest from our ordinary work. We gather with your church family. We celebrate the gospel of salvation. We look ahead to our future hope. Now, people will always be like, oh, but what about like, what about this? Like, what if we've got, what if we've got COVID? Or what if we have a pre-scheduled surgery? Or what about this? Or what about that? Um, like throughout church history, Christians have always understood this as um, something that, that we should do as long as we're not um, like, as, as there's no hindrance given to us. Uh, by our sovereign God. And so it's like, hey, man, like you've got some like really contagious disease. You've got some important medical condition that you need surgery for like on the Lord's Day. Like uh, that would be considered a, a providential hindrance uh, from, from God. Remember, this isn't a chore. It's a delight. It's not something that, you, it's not just something that you have to do, but it's more something that you should see as something you, you get to do. You see, if you see this as a list of things to check off rather than a list, a list of gifts to receive, then I, I suggest that you pray that God would change your heart to help you look at it differently. Uh, there's a guy, Tony Morita, uh, Dr. Tony Morita. He's a seminary professor uh, and pastor uh, of a church on the East Coast, uh, Amago Day Church in the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area. Uh, and in one of his books, he talks about how his church, Amago Dei, um, for years had been supporting uh, this church plant in Germany. And it was pastored uh, by this guy over there named Stefan. And during one of Stefan's visits to the States, uh, he joined them. He joined uh, Tony and his team at Amago Dei for one of their church services. Uh, but because he was leaving early the next mo morning, like Tony uh, was super bummed that he couldn't like show Stefan around town. And after the service, he, 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 uh, you know, he went up to Stefan and he's like, man, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I know we don't get to see you that often and, and that you, you have to leave early tomorrow. I wish we were able to get you like a different flight. Like I wanted to show you all my favorite restaurants and take you to all my favorite sites and have you meet like all these cool people. And, and Tony said, he'll, he'll never forget like Stefan's response because Stefan just like, went like this and said, look, man, there's, there's nothing greater that we could have done together than what we just did. There's nothing greater that you could have shown me. I got to worship with the saints at Imago Dei Church. I got to worship with my Christian brothers and sisters at Imago Dei Church. And he told Tony, he says, we together got to enjoy the end for which we we're all created for together. Do you see the gift that this day is? The Christian Sabbath is a, is a gift. The Lord's day is a gift. 
It's an invitation into a rhythm of life with the living God who's the source of true life. God in his great kindness has given us a pattern of rest for his people. Don't you want to rest? Are you weary? Are you burdened? Like, don't you want to rest? What if this rhythm of life could, could bring you in closer contact with a God who loves you, who's pursued you, who's given up his son for you to adopt you into his family so that you can experience his deep joy and peace and pleasure? You see, our problem is that our hearts don't drift towards the power and presence and peace of God. Our hearts drift towards self-reliance, always. <clears throat> our problem is that we want to do things our way, in our time, according to, to our rhythms. If you don't anchor yourself in this seventh-day rest, you will not drift toward the power and presence of God. You will not drift toward deep joy and peace with him. You will drift toward your own self-reliance. You will lift, drift toward your own self-salvation. Convince yourself that you're enough, that you can make it happen, that you don't need him, that you can be satisfied in creation rather than in the creator. That is the state of our hearts. And so left to ourselves, we end up spending our days hurried, don't we? We spend our days anxious. We spend our days restless and busy and distracted. And in doing so, we're being more and more discipled into the image of the world instead of into the image of God through Jesus Christ. Corey Ten Boom, who is a, a woman who's whose uh, family was thrown into concentration camps during World War II because they were, they were harboring um, Jews in order to keep them safe during the Holocaust. One of, my, one of my favorite quotes from her is she says, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. I mean, this lady spent time in concentration camps if anybody knows what it feels like to say, God, would you please hurry this up? Will you please get me out of this situation? It's Corey Ten Boone. And she says, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. You know what's the greatest threat to your relationship with God as a Christian? In this day, I don't, I don't think it's that you'll one day renounce your faith. I think it's that you'll become so hurried and distracted and busy that you'll, you'll settle for something less than God himself. You'll coast in life rather than truly living it. Whatever it is that you give your time to will shape and mold and form who you are. Whatever voices you listen to will shape your character and the person that you're growing to be. That's why God gives it to us as a commandment. He doesn't want us to miss this point. 
This is not some arbitrary rule. It's not a chore. It leads to life as you were meant to live it. Like, don't you see the grace of God in that? And by the way, this is the only commandment of the Big Ten that professing Christians today tend to treat as optional. We look at the other Ten Commandments and we're like, don't commit adultery, don't worship other gods. That makes sense. There's one true and living God. I'll worship him. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Obvious, right? I'm not going to do that. But keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Man, it kind of depends on what I got going on. Depends on how busy my week is. Depends on if there's something fun going on this weekend. Depends on if I've got a sport to watch or if my kid has a sport to play. But the commandment says that this day is blessed by God and made holy, set apart, made special, just like God's seventh day rest was blessed. And so you know what that tells us? It tells us that observing this day is essential to our spiritual health and growth. And notice again how this is the only one that provides a reason. It tells us, hey, do this just like God did. Rest like God rested. You might say, hey, but look, my personality, I'm just, I'm just a busybody. I like to keep my mind active to get work done. But man, remember God. God rested. You might say, all right, I think I'm getting this whole Sabbath thing, but... But, you know, I, I don't know if I can make time for that because of these, these, these deadlines I've got coming up. But, but remember, God rested. He rested. You might say, this is just a hard season of life. We've got small kids at home. It's impossible to make time for this. I mean, do I really have to say it again? God rested. And look, man, I, I lay this on not as a way to guilt trip anybody. Like, that's not my heart here, right? Like, we're not, we're not fundamentalists who try to, try to guilt trip anybody by creating, like, all these rules that aren't on the scriptures and try to, try to uh, force you to, to live according to them. This is not a guilt trip, but this is an invitation to delight, to enjoy to rest, to be at peace. How could you not want that? You've heard us say before that God's word is less, that handling God's word like this is less like a manual that we're teaching you we know what to do in order to obey, but it's more like I'm up here as a hungry beggar talking to fellow beggars and telling you where I found bread. This is an invitation to enjoy, to delight, to see that God's work is finished and that we are invited to rest in it. This leads to our last and final point. This is more a point of application. But let's answer the question, how is it that we accept God's rest? How does one, with everything going on, accept God's rest. We kind of touched on it already, but basically we accept God's rest by not only recognizing him as our sovereign creator, but resting in him 
as our good Savior. Kent Hughes says it this way in his commentary on Genesis. He says, mere intellectual belief will not bring rest to any soul. Even acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Savior of the world will not bring rest. But trust in him is what gives rest to our souls. Because true faith is belief plus trust. And when you truly trust in Christ as Savior, rest comes because the burden of your sins is lifted and you rest from your works. And because you are in Christ, you enter the Sabbath rest of God. You know that he is your creator and your redeemer. You see, all the Old Testament writings on the Sabbath, they pointed forward to the hope of a future rest that never ends. But check this out. When Jesus appeared on earth 2,000 years ago, in the first century, he launched his public ministry on, of all days, a Sabbath day. He took the scroll of Isaiah, and he read this prophecy out loud in the temple courts. He read this prophecy out loud that was concerning himself. And the prophecy said, it is time for all the captives and slaves to be released because this is a year of the Lord's favor. It's time for all the captives and all the slaves to be released because this is the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was talking about our slavery to the sinful and hell-bent nature of our own hearts. He was talking about our, our captivity to the hardships and the horrors of this world, evil, sin, disease, cancer, oppression, injustice, racism, death. He said that he was the Lord, the God of the Sabbath, and he confronted all of these things by living as the only perfect, obedient human without sin and in perfect relationship with God the Father. But even still, Still, even still, he was killed, taken to a cross where he suffered in our place and for our sins because our work is impure and wicked and crooked. But that's what's wild is that Jesus' death on the cross was time to take place at the end of the week. He was crucified on a Friday. His lifeless body rested in a tomb on a Saturday. But on the first day of a new week, on a Sunday, King Jesus rose from the dead. He broke out of the tomb. And like the first day of a new creation, the light of God broke into a darkened and corrupted world. And so because of the resurrection, we have hope in suffering and death. Because of the resurrection, we have peace in all our restlessness. Because of the resurrection, we have the promise of a future never-ending rest, the ultimate Sabbath when Jesus returns to wipe away every tear, to put away evil, sin, and death once and for all. 
to bring down to earth a new heavens, to make this a new earth, and to reign in perfect goodness with no suffering. And as time works its way to that ultimate Sabbath, man, we wait for his return. And while we wait, Jesus invites us to experience a small taste of that rest on the Lord's day by trusting in him, by resting from our work, by gathering with others in his family like we're doing right now this very second, and by following him together and celebrating him together. I'll close with an invitation from Jesus in Matthew 11. It's the same invitation we read in our call to worship. When Jesus invites all of us and says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke. In other words, take up my way of living and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. Do this and you will find rest for your souls. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.